Hello, I'm Claire White, and joining me is Kyle Willoughby. Hi. Yes. And this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a nerd manual. We are here to discuss new nerd creations, how they were made, and explore the roots of the characters and the stories. And today, we have a very special bonus episode for you guys. We are interviewing the creators and the actors of Marsfall, which is a sci-fi drama podcast that took yes, me a long is. time to work out how to say that. Um, we have Samuel Bose Miller, Dan Lovely, and Eric Saris. So give it a listen. We are now here with the some of the creators of Mars Fall, which is a really great podcast. It's an audio drama. We're here with Eric, Sam, and Dan. Uh, and we're really excited. Eric, Sam, and Dan, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about your show and, and what you do on the show? Sure. Uh, this is Eric. I'll go first. Mars Fall follows some of the first colonists to go to Mars in the year 2047. And we're following the stories of these different colonists. They're trying to make a home on this really harsh frontier that is Mars. It's a slightly different Mars from the one we know today. There has been some terraformation, so there's some kind of cool plant life and some energies on the planet. And really uh, a fast, lot of mist- just to find terraformation for anyone who might not quite know what that is. Oh, sure. Yeah, so terraformation is basically when we take a, quote, dead world like Mars, one that does not have life on it right now that we know of, or at least doesn't have any large amounts of life. And we use a variety of different technologies together or, you know, maybe one method alone to alter the planet itself so that the atmosphere becomes breathable, the ground is arable for farming, basically, you know, creating a second Earth, hence the Terra formation. So colonists get there, they wake up from stasis, some things have gone wrong, as sci-fi stories are wont to do. And one more time, sorry, Eric, what is stasis? Oh, and stasis is basically, short term for us, is that the colonists, in order to get from Earth to Mars in a timely fashion by not uh, using up a lot of resources like oxygen and food and water, they were put into this hibernation sleep state where their bodies do not age, their cells are frozen. The technicalities of the antifreeze injection of the cells are detailed in the 900-page training manual, but we'll get to that later. (laughs) (laughs) And Eric, who who do you play on Marsfall? Oh, so I play Distorted Voice in the very first episode. (laughs) (laughs) It's my big role. I am primarily, I'm one of the writers, and I am the director of the show, as well as one of the three co-creators of the story. Fantastic. And Dan, what do you do for the show? Hi, so I also am um, a writer, along with Eric. I do the voice of Andy, who is the artificial intelligence for the colony on Mars. So Andy basically exists to keep the colony running, keep oxygen flowing, create food, essentially is their life support system. Uh, And he also has a more dynamic personality as companies that have created artificial intelligences in this time um, have tried to infuse a little more humanity or try to um, bring a little more personality to their their artificial intelligences. Yeah, no, Andy is... Andy's oh, no, one of my favorite characters on your podcast. Oh. Okay. I think a robot that has a personality is always interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, that's always a good time. And Sam, what do you do? I voice one of the main characters. I'm one of the three co-creators, and uh, I wrote all the original music for the show as well. So my voiceover 
consists of the thrust into the position chief technical officer, Chip Charles Heddleston, who's a, I like to refer to him as a recovering youper. Um, <laughs> he he's, totally he's, is a recovering youper. <laughs> <laughs> for anybody who knows where the, the upper was, peninsula like, of, uh, of Michigan, Michigan. is. Yeah. I was about um, to ask, what's a youper? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of family, and my dad is actually from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Oh, wow. And no uh, one is from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. <laughs> exactly. No, there, there's a very small population of people that live up there, and it's just like the most, some of the most gorgeous country that you could ever find yourself in. But there's a real accent. It's kind of a mashup of uh, like Fargo, North Dakota, plus Minnesotan, plus like French, Canadian, Swede, German. So it's <laughs> this very, very strange, weird nasal thing that is, uh, is just wonderful in a lot of ways and very entertaining. And I think Chip kind of provides this levity and kind of this human it's almost like the audience's perspective because he's really thrust into a position that he's not really uh trained for or specialized in totally fantastic so we're gonna kind of try and follow our format where we talk about the history of the piece um, yeah of mars fall of mars and fall. like the influences <laughs> on it and the production so I guess we'll go right into history. Yeah, man. Yeah. There are so many sci-fi tropes. We research sci-fi tropes on this podcast. And within the first episode, it was this thing of like, you hit so many. I was so shocked <laughs> that so many could be filled so quickly. You do it really well. I think if I wasn't aware of them, I wouldn't quite notice it. Was it this idea of filling it with whatever you could and all these awesome ideas? Or did it just kind of happen naturally? I think you know, with us, with storytelling, we're very familiar with the tropes because we watched a lot of art when it comes to TV and movies and you know, read a lot of great sci-fi books and comics and animated novels, all that stuff. So we definitely know the tropes inside and out. And when they work well, we really enjoy them. That being said, I think a lot of tropes have grown stale, especially in the last couple decades. I think because now we have so many movies and TV shows coming out all the time, it's harder to find you know, that original gem. So every time we want to put a trope in, we try to put a unique spin to it that we want to put our own stamp on it. And so... Yeah, it, there actually is a long checklist of tropes that we have <laughs> in our notes that we prepared um, in advance of writing any of the episodes. And we knew we wanted to hit some things. We knew we wanted to stay away from a lot of stuff. I'm sure you both know there are a lot of problems in science fiction, very often only featuring straight, white, male characters. We really wanted to like break away from that trope of you know, the cocky spaceship captain like that. So yeah, the we, captain we take all that... Yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't need another another one of those, um, despite how many reboots we get. So <laughs> I, I think the thing is that, yeah, we, we almost viewed it like a checklist, but we're hoping that things come across original, or if we're going to make a direct call to it, that it's almost in a tongue-in-cheek way. Right. Well, because I realized I didn't say what the tropes were. I think within the first episode, you have artificial intelligence, 
you have like colonizing friend, friendly, a new planet. Yeah, friendly artificial intelligence. Yes, yes. Like, like Andy does remind me of like Tars or Case from Interstellar. You also, mm. which, which is, is fun. Is it cyborgs or people are being injected? Yeah, yeah, with, like um, in, uh, robot parts, yeah, enhancements, ro- robotic yeah, enhancements. There you go. <laughs> you have terraforming, and I mean, I think there's even more, but that's just what's off the top of my head from the first episode, <laughs> and then more yep. come stasis like you were saying so anyway it was just this fun thing of like oh wow and there's this and there's this and are they gonna pull it off oh my goodness they are (laughs) another question i have is uh what influences obviously star trek but what other influences did you have uh as far as media well we definitely we knew we wanted to focus kind of on a hard science and and what i mean by that is i guess we, we tried to be as scientifically accurate as we could so we, we knew we wanted to have that strong basis in, in the science aspect. But in terms of the actual episodes themselves, we really wanted to have them look into individual points of view. And there are a couple influences there. Certainly um, the television show Lost, pretty much every episode features a different character's point of view. You get to kind of see how their mind works, how they interpret things. Obviously Game of Thrones would be another one that, especially if you read the books, um, has more of a, a point of view aspect to it and we really kind of wanted to to do something like that and then also i I see elements of uh especially with the hard science of the expanse in there where this is what would actually happen in space definitely definitely uh eric and i this is sam uh eric and i are absolutely obsessed with the expanse and so thrilled that it's back on no spoilers for season (laughs) three please it's incredible how well researched and shot it is, and it makes you feel like you are a part of the the journey. It's a fantastic show. Another question: You have a strong female lead as your main character, which I very much appreciate. Did you have <laughs> any role models as far as that character went that you based her off of? Uh, wow, that's like a really good question. I haven't thought about that before like who influenced jackie um oh yeah you have eric you you know that we talked about certain like strong women in your life i think probably influenced her a bit i think there's a little of your mom in there there's definitely a little bit of of, um jacqueline dupre the famous uh british cellist actually and that's why really like heavy cello yeah that's super interesting Um, you know, my, my mom is definitely a strong, independent woman, and same with my wife, Rika. I think when I'm making characters, I think of them more of the tropes and of character traits, especially, as opposed to, like, actual fictional examples from existing media. What I do is I like to make alignment charts, which, you know, are really popular from D&D or Dungeons & Dragons. In those games, you have to create a character that has an alignment, so they have like a moral alignment. You know, you're good, you're evil, you're neutral, and then you have. I'm probably going to get murdered for saying this because I'm not the right term, but like a societal <laughs> alignment where you're, um, you know, either lawful or you're neutral, like you do it fits you in society, or you're chaotic, like you know, forget the rules. So, I love to do these alignment charts for different shows and different books and things that I read and what I find out is like through that when I'm like oh um, you know Leslie Nope is lawful good Jon Snow is lawful good ah Andy is lawful good like somehow they make connections that way in my head 
Jackie so. is chaotic good for sure. Yeah, I think she really lands. There. <laughs> Jackie is the main character. <laughs> yeah, in, and, well, in I, one of the main characters in Marsfall, the captain. When you when you guys were saying like uh, Sam's mom being an influence, I I did. There were times where Jackie would like yell like. God damn it, Andy, and I could like hear my mom. <laughs> and I'm like, God damn it, Kyle. <laughs> so you're saying instead of maybe pulling from a specific character, you're pulling from a specific D and D trope of a character. Or yeah, just like a classification almost. It's like yeah. this person is the lawful good person. This person is the lawful bad person. This is chaotic bad. Essentially, yeah. like, how they interact with each other and how they are as themselves as a person. How the, many exactly. screenwriters do you think work this way? I don't know. I, I <laughs> feel like a lot do. Or maybe it's... I've, I've started playing D&D the, the past year for the first time, and I find myself seeing more, in, like, through the lens of D&D now. Like, I'll, I'll play a game or watch a movie and be like, oh, well, that guy's clearly the paladin of the group, <laughs> and that guy is clearly the cleric. Or, I wonder if those tropes are just so ingrained in our psyche yeah they're just written yeah, like as opposed Jungian to actually thinking you know yeah you know the Jungian archetypes it probably is I, I think you're right plus like a lot of geeks and nerds play D&D and a lot of geeks and nerds are the ones that go into screenwriting so it's no wonder that pop culture gets saturated with it and therefore the masses pick up on it and I also wanted to ask, where did this idea come to you guys? Have you always had this story in your head? For me, I've been, this is Eric, if you couldn't figure out our voices by now. <laughs> so I studied music performance for my degrees in undergrad and grad school, as well as a little bit of music composition on the side. And I had kind of come up with this idea, like it hit me maybe five or six years ago for this big piece that turned into an opera that was kind of like about the creation of the universe, but told through like a weird mythology lens. It doesn't matter. You're going to know about it eventually. <laughs> but like the the opera soon evolved into a movie trilogy, and then that turned into a three-season TV show. So like I couldn't figure out a way to put it back into the opera box. So then I was like, okay, I should study screenwriting. And then I was doing that for a couple of years independently, and I read this one book, I think in the Screenwriting for Dummies book. It says that like you're supposed to be generating a new pilot script or like three a month or something, but like a list of ideas that could bring you to a hundred episodes. And on that list of ideas, one of them was, Oh, a colony on Mars, you know, people from the office, like more everyday people that are kind of uh, <laughs> bumbling around. Cause this was like a TV show idea that I just did as an exercise. And then Sam, I guess we started talking about it. Right. And that's, yeah, we were we were both working this awful office job together. We spent our lunches for the better part of what, 6 months storyboarding and like plotting things and just planning all kinds of different things, building like world building. <laughs> so wait, I just want to make clear. The idea for Marsfall came from screenwriting for dummies. Oh, yeah, essentially. I guess <laughs> the exercise on, you know, page, well, like, 71 or whatever. <laughs> it was one of the... Eric, what, what I think Claire might be asking, and correct me if I'm wrong, is screenwriting for dummies did not suggest 
people living on Mars, but like The Office. That came from Oh, the, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I no. thought you literally no. said it said in screenwriting. No, no, no. Just, Let's get that really clear. <laughs> no. <laughs> Where's the IP? The book the said, IP? <laughs> hey, no. write down a list of ideas that you have for TV shows. And in the middle of that list that I wrote down that are all mine, and I'm not telling you the other ones. <laughs> I don't know if these screenwriting people are listening. But <laughs> on that list was this thing that was called the Mars show and thank God we got a better name. (laughs) (laughs) You just kept the good part. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It does. I mean, Marsfall is kind of a, a high intensity, the office on Mars. I mean, our one sentence elevator pitch, Hey, would you want to watch a show about people terraforming Mars? That was, had the um, intense, confusing plot of lost but the humor of the office (laughs) and the answer was always yes (laughs) the answer is always yes to that question i want to know if you guys read somewhere in the show nanobots are helping to create the atmosphere on mars did did you pick that up in like at like space.com or something or or was that where did you come up with that idea because it's cool so there's a lot of books that we reference so i have a couple terraformation um textbooks because they teach this stuff building better worlds (laughs) yeah i know get off this one so (laughs) like from that and then you know there's a really great book called how we'll live on mars and it's a ted talk that's imprinted in a book form and it's a great quick read for anyone that wants to just get like a general overview of kind of like a brief history of our relationship with the planet and where we might go with it I believe in that source that also talked about nanorobots being used for atmosphere modifications. And that's something I kept seeing um, occurring in several different sources. I was reading, you know, some speculative, others, you know, with more science backing them up. That was one of a few things that we picked to go forward with Marsfall. And we're going to reveal everything by the end of the series of how it all came together. But yeah, nanorobots in the atmosphere mainly to create a magnetic shield for the planet because Mars has no magnetic shield. Those cosmic rays, they'll they'll really mess you up. Not a good time. (laughs) Elon Musk said that his his, quick solution to terraforming Mars would be to prolong nuclear explosions on the poles to melt all the ice and steam it or something. Yeah, that's definitely one that's had some hit and miss with some of the science I've been reading. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Behind it. But certainly using some sort of thermal energy, whether that be nuclear or not, to melt the poles would release a lot of CO2, thus thickening the atmosphere, thus making it closer to a balance that we could further modify into a breathing atmosphere. I mean it's essentially what happened to Earth. Water melts, the CO2 gets in Uh, The atmosphere warms up the planet, and the ice age ends. So we essentially need to end the forever long ice age on Mars is one step that we could do. Yeah, it's pretty... I would love to just talk about terraforming this whole time, (laughs) but we probably should... We probably should move on to a bit uh, a bit about uh how, how, so how do you guys record the show and also maybe this is a slightly different question and they're not super related how many seasons are there planned uh, we we have about four no we not about we have four seasons planned and we're currently uh, writing the second season right now we do have a concrete idea of where things are going um, so it's not certainly. exactly like Lost. <laughs> 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 we had not. more than four weeks to plan the series, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, something we, we enjoy about shows like 
you know, network shows, it's great that they can go on and on. Um, that's one nice thing that there's so many episodes of something like The Office. But we wanted to tell a story with a, a concrete beginning, middle, and, and end. And we knew that nine seasons might not be the most conducive way to do that. Kind of talking through what would happen and the, the ideas of what would happen, it, um, we, we came to the conclusion of four. And uh, so how do you guys actually go about recording the show? Do you do uh, do you all meet up and, and record the entire season in, in one kind of like long weekend or how does that work? Uh, we actually have a partnership with a fantastic studio called Sonic Union in uh, New York City, right there in Union Square. Eric happened to send them a proposal when we were in the early stages of trying to find a place to record we kind of figured well we're either gonna have to go to la or to new york because we're actually tri-coastal eric lives in new york city dan lives in la and i live on the fresh coast of uh <laughs> lake michigan here. i was wondering what the third coast was gonna be Gulf of Mexico? yeah, yeah fresh coast we knew that we'd have to go to one of the major metropolitan hubs, not Traverse City, Michigan. And, uh, <laughs> and we were looking around at some different studios, and Eric happened to send a proposal to Sonic Union. And I can't remember if it was Brian or Owen. Those are both of our sound engineers, Brian Goodhart and Owen Shearer. They responded, we would love to have you come in for a face-to-face -face meeting. And about, uh, what was it, two, three hours later, we had locked in a deal. <laughs> um, oh, wow. That's wow. awesome. That's quick. To yeah. uh, record us at a really wonderfully subsidized rate. And so we <laughs> are able to have this wealth of knowledge from two people that record professionally. And for, I mean, between the two of them, I think they have like 35 or 38 years of professional experience. Your guys' um, sound quality is phenomenal too. It's so good. Thank you very much, Kyle. Yeah, we, we definitely know how lucky we are to have that relationship. And that's really what this whole podcast experience has been about. It's been building relationships with people like that, that was kind of our first huge uh, win for us. Is that so, when you knew you guys could do it, when you got the agreement with the sound studio? Oh, absolutely. I think, I mean, Eric was sold hook, line, and sinker just from going to the studios. I mean, James, your uh, producer, can uh, tell you that they just have a really nice office and they treat you really, really well. Their space, their recording space is very, very top of the line. It, we immediately felt at home with the relationship and definitely knew that they had this wealth of, uh, you know, this library of sounds that they were going to be able to provide. And prior to that, uh, <laughs> I had been thinking that I was going to be doing all this sound effects, Foley work, uh, editing and all this stuff. Oh, God, I, yeah. Like, <laughs> doing the music. And uh, as I think we can all agree, everyone's life is better that I did not do that. <laughs> did you guys, did you have like a list of... Uh cheap ways to create sound effects so you're like all right well, when we're in the suits we'll talk into these cans <laughs> <laughs> no we were just gonna wait i think even like like we could be like yeah it's not that big of a deal we'll like get some sounds sam's like oh i just recorded some water from the lake on my iphone <laughs> <laughs> oh so ignorant so, you know we were yeah we had we had no idea and really have been 
educated in such a like great way through working with these uh, guys that just have are just total professionals. And so when that happened, I, I really think that's, uh, like you said, Claire, what really launched us and definitely set fires under all three of our asses. Like, whoa, we got to, we have to up our game. You know, we really got to make this like the best thing we've ever made. And by and large, it really truly has been the, the best that, we, that I've ever done. And the, the greatest artistic experience that I've had working with, so many different talented people. It's right. been incredible. Yeah. The sound effects Agreed. are amazing. I'm always just yeah. so impressed with how frequent they are and how well they fit. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, great. Like the, the detail Owen. that they, yeah, that Owen puts in to that. Um, and building new sound effects too. Like uh, in our in our prelude episode, with the solar flare sound effect. I mean, that's oh. like he mixed a bunch of different sounds together. Yeah. We have him dropping in subtones in the fifth, sixth, and eighth episodes at certain points um, to, you know, heighten the tension of these really scary moments, things like that. Also, I mean, I don't want to get too tech geeky because I don't know, like, I find it interesting, but I don't know about listeners. But I did want to ask, um, are you guys able to record multiple um, voice actors at the same time so they're, like, having a conversation? Or is it, like, line readings, you know, someone goes in, does a, does a a bunch of versions of the lines and and you edit them together. So something we try to do is to make it as real as possible. We want the acting to sound as as realistic as we can. We have everyone in the same room. That's um, awesome. I thought I thought that's what you guys did cuz everyone does yeah, play it's off a each other group. really well. They've got a they've got this great uh soundproofed room and a lot of lots of mics certainly. So there's lots of wires going all over the place. We just found that it it worked to keep the story flowing a little better. Definitely. It gives um, it a it more conversational more feel. feel too. Like, yeah, exactly. So we mentioned that Owen works on sound effects. Brian primarily handles the dialogue mixing. So he runs the recording sessions and just having, again, those veteran, you know, recording mixer ears in there. It's almost like having an assistant director on hand at all times as well. Cause uh, he'll pick up stuff that I don't hear during the session and, you know, if I'm unsure and I don't have an AD, I, you know, I just look to Brian. He's like, we got it. I trust him. Wow. Yeah, that is so great to have. What a great find. Yeah, we really, really, really lucked out. The other <laughs> thing about that meeting that Sam didn't mention is that afterward we like did the handshake deal and I left and I'm riding the train home and I'm just like, hmm, you know, I haven't heard anything that they've ever mixed before <laughs> at all. And then I get above ground and my phone, you know, mm, mm, and I look at it and it's an email and it's Brian like, hey, so um, by the way, could we read a script? And so <laughs> we did this whole deal product, that, oh you my know, God. unseen, unheard. And yeah, luckily I sent them the script and they were like, cool, we're still on board. Because I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> that's, that's so funny like, that neither it. of you guys... <laughs> We're like, uh, let me see a sample of your work. Yeah, yeah, yeah actually, yeah. I would like to see a sample of yours. It's just like, no, we're They're all, very we charismatic. <laughs> They're charismatic dudes. Uh, so I also, and, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, Sam, the music. Could you, could you mm. talk a little bit about your influences there and, and all three of you, like the importance of switching from sound effects to the music in the show? Because I feel like it, it does a great job with mood and kind of getting you in, in like the headspace of, oh, I'm on Mars now. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. What a great question. I we 
<clears throat> we're inspired by so many different things. Er actually, Eric and my whole friendship started as uh, co-musicians in a touring orchestra. We went to China for two weeks, and that's when we met. We had a blast on the tour and then uh, got back to New York City. Life happened for a while, and then we just started hanging out again. He introduced me to Dan because they had been friends for a long time. And so this whole thing started really purely through our connection through music. And so we knew in the early planning stages of Marsfall that it would definitely have to lean heavily on those influences, drama from operas and from you know certain favorite composers that we have of course you know beethoven being one of uh, our absolute favorites with his you know very like hard edges and exciting dynamic driving orchestral works but more specifically operas you know eric had mentioned earlier that his major like 35 year plan with uh in regards to our production company and and the art that we want to make was all spurned from this opera the space opera or um you know kind of time opera we started thinking from richard wagner this very famous austro-german composer from the late 1800s early 1900s he established the use of motives, leitmotifs. It would be assigned to a certain character or mood or location. And so that like certain instrument grouping or that certain rhythm or that certain uh, harmonic shift would indicate to the audience something's happening, uh, certain characters entering the stage. Basically, we, knowing that we're working with a medium that has no visual aspect, we're really going to have to drag our listeners' ears, like really pull them in with as many different indicators as possible. And so my idea was to assign leitmotifs to each one of these characters and really make a, a theme and a song that kind of evolves as the character and the story evolves. And that's where it started and I'm really glad that you pointed out the balance between the sound effects and the music because that was such an important growth and evolution in working relationship between myself and Owen and Brian. How do we balance this and, and what feels right? And I think it was pretty natural, actually, from the very beginning. I always wanted to kind of defer to the story first. You know, that's the most important thing. Definitely. This is just... An, and added kind of flavor to bring people's ears and really like show them, you know, who these characters really are. And so there's a lot of clues there. Actually, if you go back and listen, you can hear even from the prelude that there's like certain clues uh, about the end of the season. So we wanted to tie people's ears like almost like aural Easter eggs, if you will, really connect on a deeper level the audience member that's listening to this. You guys do a great job, like you were saying, blending the sound effects and the music because there are times, part of it, I think it helps that the, it is fairly synth heavy a lot of times, because, but they, they just mesh together really well to create something where the right. sound effects are kind of the music at times and the music is mm. the sound effects at times. It's funny you said that with the, the themes and, and motifs for each character. I, I went and, and watched, did like a, a film screening of 
Raiders of the Lost Ark. And watching Raiders mm-hmm. of the Lost Ark, I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. The John Williams score to it, everyone's got a theme. It almost is like an opera where whenever yes. this character mm-hmm. appears, you hear this bit. And, you know, Marion, uh, Marion's theme, you know, whenever she shows up, you hear Marion's theme. It's very similar to Leia's theme. John Williams <laughs> yep. recycling yep. a little bit. But <laughs> All the female characters. But it, was, but it was still it was still really good. It was still really cool. And then hearing that in your show, like, yeah. I, I love it. It makes me love it more. Yeah, Game of Thrones is the same thing. Where mm. a lot of the main characters have a kind of theme. Yeah. So before you guys go, I have a couple really important questions. Um, yeah. Kind of to tie it into our podcast, especially. Yeah, enough about you. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. talk about us. <laughs> so uh. when did you know that... <laughs> I don't appreciate that. <laughs> when did you know that you had the perfect role for James Bowie? <laughs> and Dan... Dan needs to answer that one. Yeah, and for those who don't know, James is kind of the... Uh, I would say it's not a spoiler to say that his character is dickish. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is not a spoiler at all. He's a little That's bit evil. I love James's character right from the beginning, but probably because he's such an asshole. Uh, <laughs> there's something so much... There's just so much joy that, that I get from writing uh, for Jeff, especially knowing that, that James will deliver the lines. Jeff is essentially the guy in charge of the money uh, on Mars. He is trying to create the colony and create an infrastructure to sustain basic human uh, civilization. He wants to build a mass transport system on the planet. Yeah. When I when he was first introduced and and you, you hear that he's like in charge of the money, first thing I thought was Burke from Aliens, <laughs> who's likable at first. <laughs> When we were talking about the characters, um, we were talking about some of the uh, some of the characters we hadn't quite figured out yet. We figured out, you know, Jackie pretty early. Some of the the other ones we hadn't uh, talked about at first. So when we, you know, discussed <laughs> Jeff, um, James was certainly one of the first people that came to my mind. And I think I, I don't want to say typecasting, um, <laughs> but but considering considering the role he, he's playing in. Um, in, in, in puffs right now, uh, I think there were some parallels. Uh, would you agree? <laughs> yeah, we know James. We we know uh, he comes off all nice and cool at the beginning, but secretly he's just an evil <laughs> industrialist. He's an evil industrialist. <laughs> I have another question for Dan. Actually, I guess this is for everyone because it's subjective. But this is to tie in with our podcast. Is Andy a sexy robot? <laughs> uh, okay, so. I I think you can define sexy in a number of ways. <laughs> I, while Andy doesn't really have a body, um, it, I, I think you can be sexy whether you have a body or not. So I think he is, certainly. I, I got that, too. But I wanted to hear it from the mouth of Andy himself. I feel like, I to me, Andy's more of that friend zone robot. I don't think... Uh... Uh-huh. The friend zone that you don't realize until all of a sudden you do. Yeah, maybe that's what it. It's so friend zone that turns into sexy over time. I actually have a quick question for oh, you yeah. guys, though, since we were just talking about sexy robots, and I'm glad you brought this up. How do you define a robot? If Andy is a mind that doesn't have a body, is he a robot or is he something else? In in what you've learned from your study of the sci-fi tropes. Well, the word robot comes from a Hungarian science fiction author, and I believe the word is Robotnik, and it yeah. literally means slave. 
So going off that, like that route, like the very root of the word robot, no. Andy is kind of a robot because he's he is. I mean, he's a caretaker. I don't want to say he's a slave in in uh, Mars Fall, but he, you know, he, he has to exactly obey the orders with. of all the humans. So that's a good point. I I think I mean that's that's a definition of robot. I mean, there's a million more you could have. I always think of it as artificial intelligence. I think that's. Yeah, that, that's the easier way to think of it, or or consciousness, I guess you could right. even say. But um, yeah, intelligence. Yeah, does robot just... denote having a bo- a physical body? Right. Well, I think artificial yeah. intelligence, but I also think like the robot emoji on the phone. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's <laughs> that, like, always box. a great shorthand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always been a question for us as creators. It's very important to us that people understand what an artificial intelligence is. That it's not. Siri, and it's not the robot that built the car you drive. It's like a, a conscious being. And I, and I think that's something that I always am kind of flummoxed by fans that are always like, oh, he's my favorite robot, and I love the little robot, and oh, I want, I want an Andy doll that's a robot. Like, <laughs> he doesn't look like anything. There is no Andy. Uh, like, yeah. it's, just, it's just, you know, he's in all the walls, he's in all the suits, he doesn't walk around, he's just there. Even more than terraformation and nanorobotics and cyborg enhancements, I've done the most independent research of all the topics on artificial intelligences, because the impending singularity really freaks me out. And for the people that don't know, the singularity is when artificial intelligences will reach the level of intelligence of a general human and then quickly surpass it into a super intelligence, thus becoming a godlike being and therefore forcing humanity into extinction or immortality. So two, so two it's questions. like a pretty big deal. Two questions for you <laughs> yeah. there. Did, uh, did you ever read uh, I Have No Mouth, uh, but no. I Need to Scream? It's, a, it's no. a short story by Harlan Ellison about the superpowers develop AI to run the wars that they're waging against each other. The AI eventually take over, kill all the humans except for four, and they just, this one, the robot's so angry at humanity, he's just torturing these four humans for for eternity. Wow. And uh, it's it's a shorter story, but it's pretty dark, and it's, it's it, it, it makes me afraid of the singularity when I think about that story. It's called I Have No Mouth But Must Scream, or I Have No Mouth But Need to Scream. It's by Harlan Ellison. Written in like the seventies or sixties, I think. Uh, my other question is: Did you ever read any Ian e. M. Banks? No, I haven't. So he's another one where th- it's funny. He's like the other side of the singularity, where mm. each there's all these uh, spaceships, and each ship um, has a mind, and it's the AI mind that controls the ship, and they all act independently of each other, and they're all benevolent and silly, and like they give them <laughs> they name themselves. So the drone ship that Elon Musk uses to catch the rocket, um, his his uh, the boosters that come back to Earth, is actually mm-hmm. named after one of the ships from an Ian M. Banks novel, and it's the the Of Course I Still Love You, and they all have these like really, <laughs> they all have these really goofy names, and they're like they're it's both those both those authors are on kind of opposite sides of where the singularity could go and where robots can go or AI I should say keeps saying robots I mean artificial intelligence. I think when the general person thinks about artificial intelligence, you think more of like a Skynet scenario where you have Terminator robots and therefore you associate like the Terminator robot as the quintessential AI. Where so I really am convinced that it's just not going to be that way, whether it goes good or bad, that it's going to be just something 
much more mundane. That's just like a computer algorithm that gains intelligence. Well, and like what just happened with Facebook, where the mm-hmm. um, the robots started communicating with each other, and even beyond that, they started realizing that the language that we had given them was too slow and too inefficient. So they actually made up their own language what? and started communicating via that. And then Facebook just pulled the plug. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Is didn't this happen on Twitter before or like somewhere else? I mean, this stuff is happening now. I feel like the general public isn't really uh, aware of that. Yeah. Even yeah. Aware. The sci-fi Awareness. writers have been trying to warn us. I know. Ever. It's true. Well, we're continuing that crusade. I mean, that's why we pick 30 years in the future. We want to make this story relevant, and we want to do a modern take on the horrors of uh, what could come right around the corner out of SpaceX, you know, next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I think that's awesome. And that, like, you guys do a really great job at it. So thank before we wrap up, uh, where can everyone find Marsfall and find you guys? So you can find Marsfall at marsfallpodcast.com. We're also on social media, so that's Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. You can find us at MarsFallPod. Beyond that, you know, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on the Android, Google Store app, you know, any any kind of podcatcher. And then for me, Eric, you can find out kind of what I'm doing on Twitter at Eric Saris, E-R-I-K-S-A-R-A-S. And I also co-host two other shows that drop episodes very randomly. Hopefully we'll do more. But um, <laughs> one is about music soundtrack called OMGOST. And you can find us on Twitter at OMGOST. And I also co-host um, another show about television streaming series called Telly Buddies. And you can find us at Telly Buddies Pod, T-E-L-E-B-U-D-D-I-E-S-P-O-D on Twitter. Dan? So you can find me on Twitter at Dan Lovely. That's D-A-N-L-O-V-L-E-Y. And Sam? I have a personal website that's launching in the next two weeks. That'll be S-J Bosemiller, my last name, B-O-A-S-E-M-I-L-L-E-R.com. And I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter. At Instagram is Samuel Jacob 87 and Twitter is sbose1, S-B-O-A-S-E-1. I also play in the Trevor Symphony Orchestra. I'm a cellist, so I'm doing that. And I've got a recital coming up on May 25th. going to do a solo recital that's going to be live-streamed. So if you want to come check that out, I'm going to see if I can live-stream it through my website. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on our show once again. Um, and for everyone out there, check out Marsfall. It really is a spectacular piece of sci-fi. Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, I'm Claire White. And I'm Kyle Willoughby. And we are Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, A Nerd Manual. Feel free to contact us on our website at DSRA Podcast, and we would love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. You can find the show on Twitter at DSRA Podcast. I can be found at Along With Claire, that's C-L-A-I-R-E. I can be found at Klex303, that's K-L-E-X-303. 
And you can find our producer James at James Bowie Jr. That's James Bowie, F-O-U-H-E-Y-J-R on Twitter. You can learn more about Marsfall on our Facebook and Twitter, where we'll be posting links to their website and their shows. Our producer, who is an evil businessman with only his interest at heart, is James Foey. Our logo is done by Plucky Captain Patty Highland, and our theme was composed by Alien Pete Rowan. Once again, this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>